So this week, uh, as you've heard, in Aurora, Colorado, uh, a young man, James Holmes, I believe is his name, uh, detonated smoke bombs and then proceeded to open up fire in a movie theater on unsuspecting victims, killing lots of them. And, and in the few days that have followed since that tragic event, stories have begun, have begun to come in about the victims who lost their lives and who have been injured. And, and one of the, uh, the most gut-wrenching that I have read is, is of a girl named Ashley Moser. And the Huffington Post tells the story this way. Ashley Moser, the 25-year-old victim of Friday morning's movie theater massacre in Aurora, Colorado, remains in critical condition at the Aurora Medical Center with bullets lodged in her throat and abdomen. In her lucid moment, she asks for Veronica, her six-year-old daughter, unaware that the little girl has passed away, making her the youngest victim of the gunman's shooting rampage at Aurora's Century 16 movie theater. Nobody can tell her about it, Annie Dalton, Ashley Moser's niece, told the Associated Press. She is in critical condition, but all she's asking about is her daughter. The Denver Post describes Veronica as a vibrant child who was bragging a few days ago about learning to swim. Doctors told the Post Ashley fades in and out of consciousness and will likely suffer paralysis, but that they are hopeful she will, she will regain some of the use of her hands. According to the report, Ashley was recently accepted to medical school. A woman who, at least from news reports, had everything going for her, going to medical school, had a daughter that she cared about, health, uh, is now going to suffer for the rest of her life with forms of paralysis. And she will wake up from her unconscious state to find out that her daughter, her beloved daughter, has passed away. This is a tragedy. And in the wake of tragedies like this, as we talked about last week, people look for an answer to the question, why? We want to know why this could have happened, why this would take place. And people in just the couple of days that have that have gone past since the tragedy have already begun to try to give reason and meaning and 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 answer that question. Why? And you've heard it all already come out, right? Not enough gun control, uh, violence in movies, a lack of understanding in the area of mental illness, bad families, etc. And so people are looking for an answer to why. But oftentimes when that answer eludes them, when they can't figure out any good reason for something so tragic, they begin to blame God. They say things like, how could you allow for this to happen? They say things like, how dare you let this take place to these good people? And they think things like, I thought you loved me. I thought you loved people. And it's easy when these questions begin to come in for people to get angry at God and to blame him. Some people begin to look at God and say, well, God must not be that loving. Other people look at God and say, well, God must not be that powerful. And and worse yet, some people begin to look at God and say, God, do you even exist? That question has already started to come. Just yesterday, in my Facebook timeline, an article popped up. It was a blog post by a woman who was in, in the theater when the tragedy struck. And so, this morning, I want to read you her article because she begins to answer that question. And apparently, she's been blogging a long time. And as soon as this tragedy took place and people learned that she was in that movie theater, they begin to ask her the question, do you still believe in a merciful, loving God. And here's what she said in that blog post. Maybe, just maybe, God spared my life because he loves you and wants you to hear this. He wants you to believe that he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that if you would believe in him, you would have eternal life. 
So you still believe in a merciful God? Some of the comments online are genuinely inquisitive. Others are contemptuous in nature. Regardless of the motive behind the question, I will respond the same way. Yes, yes, I do indeed. Absolutely, positively, unequivocally. Let's get something straight. The theater shooting was an evil, horrendous act done by a man controlled by evil. God did not take a gun and pull the trigger in a crowded theater. He didn't even suggest it. A man did. In his sovereignty, God made man in his image with the ability to choose good and evil. Unfortunately, sometimes man chooses evil. I was there in theater nine at midnight, straining to make out the words and trying to figure out the storyline as the dark night rises began. I'm not a big moviegoer. The handsome husband and I prefer to watch movies in the comfort of our own home, where I can use subtitles and get a foot rub. I don't like action movies, and I don't like midnight showings. But as I wrote in my last post, parents sometimes make sacrifices for their kiddos, and I decided I would take my 14-year-old and 16-year-old daughters, who were chomping at the bit to see this eagerly anticipated third movie in the Batman trilogy. Twice I had the opportunity to back out, and twice I was quite tempted. But something in me said, just go with your girls. I did. So I was there with them fidgeting in my seat some 40 or 50 feet away from the man with the gun. It's still a bit surreal, but I do know that when the seemingly endless shooting started, as my girls were struggling from whatever gas or chemical had been released, and we figured out what was happening, we hit the floor. I threw myself on top of my 14-year-old who was on the end of the row straight up the aisle from the shooter. In that moment, as the rapid-fire shots continue, I truly thought I was going to die, and I realized that I was ready. I put my faith in, and trust in Jesus Christ as the Redeemer of my soul, and there wasn't the slightest doubt that I would be received into heaven, not because of any good thing that I have done, but because of His merciful nature and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Still, as I lay over my daughter, I begin praying out loud. I don't remember what I prayed, but I don't imagine it really matters. I'm sure it was for protection and peace, It drew me closer into the presence of God. When there was a pause in the shooting, people began to clamor for the exits. The girls and I jumped up and joined the masses. We had to step over a lifeless body, not knowing where the shooter was. We raced to our car and I dumped my purse frantically searching for keys, looking all around, prepared to hit the ground. I yelled to Michelle to call Matthew and find out if he had made it out of the theater next door. She did. He did. We booked out of there. Why would you think such a tragedy would make me question the goodness of God? If anything, both of my girls said it made him a much more real presence to them. The youngest shared this verse. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your feet from being caught. He is not the cause of evil, but he is the one who can bring comfort and peace in the midst of evil. It's been an amazing, it's been amazing to see the outpouring of love from so many people after this unthinkable act. Yes, there was one evil act, but it is being covered by thousands, possibly millions, of acts of kindness. We have not slept, so the girls and I are overtired and a bit emotional, but overall we are praising God and resting in His goodness. I love this word of wisdom and encouragement from a former pastor of mine. Quote, Up to this point, I haven't had words to say that would matter. Of course, we are all glad that you and the family are safe. Of course, we would all state the obvious that this is horrific and senseless. But those words still don't carry weight that remain in the midst of the questions. Then it hit me. Do you know what the difference was between Job and his wife in their response to the tragedy of losing everything? Job was the only one that worshipped in the midst of it. I want to stop there because, ironically, 
The story the pastor alludes to, Job and his wife, is the story that I've been studying over the past couple of weeks. And last week, uh, I taught on the first chapter of Job, and this week I was scheduled, I am scheduled, I'm about to uh, teach on the second chapter of Job. And that's actually the passage of scripture that, that is referred to here by that pastor, where Job's wife doesn't worship God and Job does. And so last week we talked about, it's crazy to think about, we talked about the question why and how it's not answered in the book of Job. We talked about how when when tragedy strikes to good people, we think that there must be an answer. And I had a box up here, right? And and I said that 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 box represents our belief systems. And when tragedy strikes to good people, no matter if you love God or or have never thought about God before, uh, it seems to be outside of our box that there wouldn't be a reason for that. And we talked about how in the book of Job, especially the first chapter, these terrible things happen to a man named Job. All of his possessions are ripped from him by natural disaster and his family is killed at the hands of murderers. And, and, and inside of us, we want to ask a question, why? Why would God allow for that to happen? But Job doesn't, the book of Job doesn't seem concerned with that. Instead, it focuses on how Job responds to the tragedy that strikes him. And the biggest thing we talked about last week was that Job continued to worship God. And today, as we look at chapter 2, we're going to see how that was possible. But let me catch you up to speed. Job was a rich person who was very powerful in his town and had a great family and loved God tremendously. Everything was going well for him, just as it was, was for Ashley Moser. And then out of nowhere, for seemingly no good reason... Disaster strikes and all of his cattle and his buildings are torn down by wind and storm. And then at the end of chapter 1, we see that Job's children are killed by visiting murderers, people who didn't even know these kids at all. And Job falls down on the ground and worships. And so here in chapter 2, we continue the story. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all his life for his own life, all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Again, what we want to know is why. I mean, why is God talking to Satan in the first place? I mean, why does God bring up Job's name if he is all-knowing and he knows that it's going to result in this tragedy coming upon Job's life and Job losing his health. Why, why does he do that? 
I mean, why does God allow for Satan to inflict this terrible disease upon Job? We want to know why. And we think somewhere inside of us, almost all of us think it's not fair that there is no answer to my question. But here again in chapter 2, the Word of God is not concerned with explaining to us why this has taken place. It is only concerned with telling us how Job responds. And I think in that, in chapter 2, it teaches us. It teaches us how people like Job and the girl named Ashley, who's sitting, uh, excuse me, the, the lady named Marie who wrote the blog article, it teaches us how people like them can respond with a heart of worship to God even when bad things strike their lives. First of all, in order to grasp just how faithful Job was to God, you need to understand the skin disease. And thousands of years later, it's impossible to diagnose a skin disease, right? I mean, even when you go to the doctor, they can't diagnose anything these days. And so, uh, so now, uh, thousands of years later, no doctor will be able to say, well, this is what Job had. But let me, let me just give you a description from one author. It was a skin disease spreading everywhere and developing infectious with darkened and peeling skin and constantly erupting pustules. It's honestly really gross. Uh, To make it worse, Job is using that broken piece of pottery that's mentioned probably to scrape pus off of his body. And so when you when you think about this disease, he's dealing with a skin disease that's more horrific than anything that that we can probably really imagine dealing with. Okay, and and on top of that are these these other symptoms that either come through this disease or they're part of another type of sickness. We don't really know, but he describes them as the book goes on. Anorexia, emaciation, fever, fits of depression, weeping, sleeplessness, nightmares, bad breath, failing vision and rotting teeth. Job's health is really really bad and then job's wife enters into the narrative and she asked this question are you still maintaining your integrity curse god and die now the most interesting thing about this about what she says is that she actually almost quotes god and she almost quotes satan There's just a comma in between those two things. Now, God has already said that that Job has maintained his integrity, right? Now, Job hasn't heard the word of God say that. He, He hasn't heard God. He isn't privy to the information that we are reading the book of Job. But here his wife takes the word of God and she twists the word of God and says, Hey, are you really still maintaining your integrity? She also quotes Satan. Satan has already said that if God will take away Job's health or allow Satan to take away Job's health, then then Satan will surely curse God and die. Now, it's really interesting in the history of Christianity because of the words of Job's wife of uh, we don't know anything else about the lady, but because of these words, she has been given a really, really bad name in Christian history. Uh, Let me just read you what a couple of. People have called her Augustine, called her Diabli Ajatrix. Calvin called her Organum Satani. Now, you don't need to know Latin to, or, to understand that those are not compliments, right? They are calling her the devil's, the devil's worker. They are calling her Satan's mouthpiece. They are, they are saying that this woman was really acting on behalf of Satan. Now, we don't know if really her intentions or her motives were that bad. Perhaps she was angry at God. 
and just said, look, God has wrecked my life socially. I need a husband that can lead me and can and can uh, provide for me. And God has ripped that out from underneath me when I had everything going for me. And so, God, I hate you and I wish my husband would just curse you and die. But perhaps she's tired of looking at her husband and seeing the suffering. And so she is basically asking him to invoke a form of euthanasia. She's saying, look, just curse God so that you can pass away and have this be over with. But either way, no matter what, she is offering lies to her husband that that should not be listened to and should not be true. And I find it extremely fascinating that these lies come directly from Satan himself. Satan's saying these same things. And it's not like Satan looks at Job and whispers in his ear, here's what I want you to believe. But no, instead it comes through somebody that he was probably closest to of anybody in the entire world once his children passed away. And here's the truth that I think we learn in this, especially in in the face of tragedy, like the tragedy that took place in Aurora, Colorado, or the tragedy that takes place in your life. Oftentimes, oftentimes, no matter who it comes from, we are quick to believe the lies of Satan. The lies of Satan are what lead us to say, you know what, God? I'm not sure I can trust you anymore. I'm not sure I can believe in you anymore. I'm not sure I like you anymore. It comes through the lies of Satan, even if those lies are coming out of the mouth of somebody that you love and you're close to. Just this week, I was talking to a mentor of mine and and having a conversation with him. And and last week, uh, he's a pastor in in Michigan. uh, He he taught on spiritual warfare and, and he taught on some lies of Satan that people believe. And he sent me to them this week, uh, totally not knowing that this would come up in my sermon at all. And, and as I read through them, it was so crystal clear to me that, that some of these are just latched onto by people that, that don't know God and people that do know God in the midst of the tragedies that they face. Now, normally, it's the tragedies that hit close to home that invoke these types of lies being believed in, believed in our lives, right? It's not the, the, the shootings across the country that, that really strike these lies within our hearts, but it's the things that happen to us, loss of job, the, uh, the sickness that comes to us, our health going bad, or, or the death of a family member really can cause us to believe these types of things. And so let me just, let me just give them to you. And, and as you listen to them, you'll, you'll be able to make connections to things you've heard and things people say. And I just want you to remember that at the heart of these lies is the father of lies, Satan himself. Number one, if I cannot see God, it must mean that God is not there. When you think about things like what happened in Aurora, Colorado this week, you say, where is God? Right? That's a question that people will ask in the coming weeks. Where was God when this took place? And it's easy for us to to just believe the lie of Satan and say, well, if I'm asking the question, where was God? It must mean that God was not there. That's a lie of Satan. Number two, God will not come to my rescue. I am my own best hope for help. When tragedy strikes, people sometimes turn to God in the first moments that follow. We saw it after the bombing on September 11th over 10 years ago, right? People said, oh God, we need you, God, we need you. But quickly, quickly people start to believe the lie that we are our best hope. Well, hey God, I got those prayers in, but now let me fix this situation. Now let us go to work in order to take care of these problems that have been created by the tragedy. 
This is a lie of Satan causing you to believe when tragedy strikes in our country or in your life that you are best equipped to fix it and not the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. Lie number three. There is no hope. Satan wants you to believe that there is no hope. That when tragedy strikes, that that it's just never going to turn around. That things will never get better. And I know people who, who still are living, living life in an unproductive and unpositive way because of something that happened to them so long ago. And they think somewhere in the back of their minds, there is no hope to get me out of this. And so they allow for a tragedy, a single moment in time perhaps, to affect everything moving forward. This is a lie of Satan. Satan does not want you to understand that we always have hope because Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to save you so that eternity will be the most wonderful experience that you can ever imagine. Satan wants you to believe that it is hopeless, that it is hopeless, completely hopeless. But throughout the New Testament, we see the word hope written over and over and over again. The Bible says to us, you have hope, not because this world will ever be great and not because tragedy will ever stop striking, but because someday if you give your life to God, you have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. Satan wants you to believe that there is no hope when tragedy strikes. I want you to turn your attention back to the passage, verse 10. It's Job's reply to his wife. And I think it's so important for helping us understand how we can continue to live for God in the midst of bad things that happen, especially to good people. This is what he says to his wife. You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from you and not trouble? First of all, Job sees through the lies, right? It's coming from his own wife. The woman that he is closest to, the person that he is closest to in the entire world. And yet he sees through it and he recognizes that the thing that she is saying is not true. He isn't harsh. He isn't mean. He simply says, you are talking like a foolish person that doesn't know God, that doesn't love God. The first thing that needs to happen if you are going to be a person who keeps your faith in God, who continues to love God, who sees through the tragedy into the into God into God being there and, and, and loving us and bringing us hope, is that you must be a person who sees through the lies. And I'll tell you this, because I see it all around me. Satan is really tricky in how he brings those lies into your life. He's never just going to come in some Satan voice, hey, this is Satan, I want you to believe this. That's not going to happen, right? It's going to come through somebody you're close to. It's going to come through a news source that you respect. It's going to come by, through people who masquerade themselves as Christians who are teaching the Word of God. And those lies come to you in tricky ways because Satan is a tricky being that wants you to believe the things that he is spitting. And so, I need you to hear this about Job. Job was clear in his thinking. Despite the tragedy, he said, no, no, no. I'm not going to believe the lies of Satan. I'm going to continue to believe the words of God. The second thing that Job does that's really important comes in that next line. He says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? This word accept, given the the context and maybe even the language, is an active and strong word. It doesn't just mean that Job said, hey, God, thank you for the gifts. I'm going to go have a good time. Thank you for the good life you've been giving me and all that. It means that Job actively accepted the things that came into his life that were good as gifts of God. And he worked to use those gifts for the glory and the goodness of God. 
You see, Job was able to worship God when things were taken away because when he had the things, he recognized that they were from God. That he hadn't created them, them, them himself, that he hadn't brought them into his life himself. He recognized that all the good that was in his life, his children, his possessions, his health, they were things that God had blessed him with. And so when those things were taken away, it was easy for Job to say, man, God, I still love you because you blessed me with those things for a while. I didn't deserve them. I didn't earn them. But you gave them to me. The truth is, in the midst of tragedy, it's so easy for us to look at God and say, how dare you take those things from me? How dare you rip my health from out underneath me? How dare you let that my loved one die? How dare you not provide for me in the way that I want you to provide for me? But if the whole time we had those things, we were saying, God, I don't deserve this blessing. Thank you for it. God, I, I'm so thankful that I get this time with my loved one. Thank you for it. I'm so thankful for this job that you have given me. Let me use the money that, that it provides for your glory and your fame. God, I'm so thankful that right now I have my health. Let me use my energy and, and, and let me use my body for the glory of you. If we have that mentality, then when tragedy strikes... We will be able to say, God, I'm thankful I had it for a little while. And I used it for your glory and your fame and your honor on this earth the best that I possibly could. I would love to stand up here every week and give you some amazing answer to the question why bad things happen to good people. I would love to be able to tell you by a 24-year-old guy that seemed smart and intelligent and nice opened up fire in a movie theater for no good reason. I would love to tell you why the thing that, that comes to your mind when, when I say bad things happening to good people, you know it's there. Something goes into your mind. I would love to give you an answer to why. But the truth is, the truth is why I can give you a theological answer. I can spout something off that makes sense and is logical. The answers that I give in those moments are not really productive. They don't mean much to the people that are suffering. And so today, instead of that, what I, what, I, what I offer to you is simply this. If you are going to go through tragedy in a way that brings you out the other side, still living for God and still having the life that you want, then what you need to do is see through the lies of Satan and you need to be a person who is always recognizing that the good that we have in life, and there is a lot of it, right? Even in the midst of tragedy, that that good is a gift from God that has been given to you so that you can glorify and honor God. Job 2 is not concerned with answering the question why, and today I'm not going to try to go over and above the word of God. And so what I offer to you is simply that. Do not believe the lies of Satan. And you will hear lots of them in the, in the weeks that come because of the shooting. And remember, remember, even especially remember, in the midst of tragedy, that the good things that come into our lives are things that God has blessed us with.